Napa know-how. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10-31-17. Today's podcast is brought to you by SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the best way for you to buy and sell tickets right on your smartphone. You can get it on any iPhone or Android or Windows phone. On SeatGeek, you're going to see tickets to any concert, game, play, whatever you want to see, you can find it right there on SeatGeek. Every ticket is graded based on if it's a good deal or if it's a bad deal. You can see the view from your seat, and you're going to get all the best prices from all the best ticket brokers, so you know you're getting the best deal when you use SeatGeek. I used SeatGeek before. Uh, not that long ago, I went on. I wanted to get future and Migos tickets for when they play in Cleveland in a few weeks, and it took me five minutes to get tickets. I looked through. I compared all the deals. I made my purchase, and I am going to that show. If you want to use SeatGeek today, my listeners, listeners of the Locked On Cavs podcast, can save $20 on their first purchase by using the promo code LOCAVS. That's L O C A V S. You're going to save $20 by entering in the promo code under the settings tab on your first purchase on SeatGeek. Use it today, download it today. It's a free app, and you're going to be able to get to go see what you want to see. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily podcast on the Cleveland Cavaliers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cavaliers, your daily look at the Cleveland Cavaliers, brought to you by Fear the Sword and the Locked On Podcast Network. Joining me today, uh, before we get into some Cavs Raptors stuff, with Sean Woodley of Locked On Raptors, is Carter Rodriguez, the the co-host of the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Almighty Ballin Network, and a writer for Fear the Sword. Carter, how's it going? It's going good, man. Um, just uh, recorded a uh, podcast with... Uh, um with uh, Faisal Kamisa um, of uh, Sportsnet, uh, Big Raptors uh, voice. So that was really fun uh, to preview the series. So, uh, yeah, I've had a really cabsy day. I'm about to write the preview for game one as soon as we hang up here. Yeah, it's been a week off of basketball. What did you do on the week off? What was your week off like? Oh, um, it was relaxing. I, I watched uh, basketball all week without any without any stress or anxiety. I just, I just had fun. Uh, it was nice. Uh, didn't it was weird though it feels like the Cavs season has been, been like over like it just feels like they were never going to play again so it's really exciting that uh, Monday night we're going to actually get to watch them play yeah uh, the Cavs because they're, of course the Cavs aren't just dealing with the playoffs right now of the, the report from a couple of days ago by now as you listen to this uh, I think from the vertical indicates that the Orlando Magic are going to offer David Griffin, the Cavs' GM and vice president of operations, their team president job the day the Cavs season ends, basically. Uh, Griffin's contract expires at the end of the year. Um, or this is per Windhorse. The original report was from the vertical, so let's make sure we get that right. But uh, he's making about $3 million less than some of his counterparts. 
Um, there has been no meaningful discussion about a new deal with the Cavs between him and Griffin. It, it seems possible and you know maybe likely that he will still sign a new deal with the Cavs. Um, Carter, what, what's your reaction to this news about David Griffin? Uh, to me, I think it's Griffin playing a little hardball and using the poor Orlando Magic as a uh, as a cut like a as something to, as leverage, basically. I mean, we've seen teams do this with uh, with the Mavericks. With agents, will do it with their players all the time. Like the Mavericks just dangling these max deals in perpetuity, while other teams feel like they have to match them to keep the player. I think to some extent, like I don't think Griffin is particularly interested in leaving this job um, for obvious reasons. Um, I think, of course, you know, I'm sure there's something, some part of him that thinks it would be really cool to fix the magic. But also, rebuilding sucks and is hard, and the Magic haven't proven themselves to be a particularly stable organization. So it feels like more smoke than fire, um, and really it feels like pressure to me uh, on Dan Gilbert to say, hey, like, I mean, this is kind of the whole thing anytime anyone job hunts, right? Like, you go out and get an offer to leverage, but if they if they call your bluff, you, you got to go. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's going to be really interesting to see if uh, Dan Gilbert either decides to just pay the man uh, – which obviously Cavs fans would prefer, or I uh, feel let him walk. What's interesting about this is the reporting indica- the reporting by Windhorst, and I think Wojnarowski had this as well, is that Griffin seems skeptical of paying him a lot of money, which is interesting in the context of that the Cavs have had expensive payrolls the last three years. Griffin, of course, has ponied up in a, in a large amount for those. Obviously, it's his money. He ponied up for Ty Lue. He's I think until this year he was paying three coaches' salaries. Because uh, I, I think now it's just two. Because I think Blatt still had money on his deal, and Mike. But I is think Mike, Mike Brown finally? Is think, Mike Brown th- finally done? I think Mike Brown's contract is finally done. But the Cavs are like he's paying a lot of money, dead money functionally. So you can like understand reluctance in a sense of wanting to pay all that. But what Griffin probably, assumedly, is looking for is to just get paid like guys at at his level that have accomplished what he's accomplished. Bob Myers is making about $8 million to run the Warriors. A guy like R.C. Buford is making about that money to run the Spurs. Um, maybe Griffin hasn't, and certainly like Buford's been around a lot longer, but like Bob Myers sort of has like a similar tenure length. It's a little different, of course, but Griffin's, they've kind of been around the same time, have had relatively the same amount of success. And Griffin's been the architect of what is unquestionably the best era of Cavaliers basketball in the franchise's history. So... Some of that, of course, is LeBron saying, I want to come home. But think about everything that David Griffin has done. He acquired J.R. Smith and Amon Shepard. He got Timothy Mozgov. He got Kyle Korver by flipping Dunleavy after using uh, Delhi, who's going to probably end up leaving anyway to get to get Dunleavy. He uh, got he he done all these things that have really made have bolstered a Cavs team that was very top-heavy and going to be very hard to add guys Injuries. He got Channing Fry. Let's not forget that as well and how important that was. He had the he had the guts. He to got make, Kevin Love. He got Kevin Love. He did the Kevin Love deal. He he got Kyrie Irving to resign uh, before that summer before LeBron even came back. This is a guy who has who set up the Cavs to be as flexible as they possibly can be and get as good as they possibly can be when they don't have a lot of money to work with. I, I have a hard time just saying that what he does is is functionally replaceable. Even though there are guys, they, they have, of course have a, the guys, the Cavs have other smart people in the organization. Uh, Trent Redden is the senior vice president. He could, you know, might would hop to hop right in right away. Colby Allman is Griffin's assistant. Um, 
they maybe could like slide in there as well, but that that's asking a lot of them, especially when you consider. Let's say the Cavs go to Game Five in the finals, right? And let's say two days later, let's say Griffin does end up walking and he signs with Orlando, signs a big deal there to be their president. That switch comes right before the draft, which the Cavs don't have a pick, but you know it's still the draft. You're still keeping an eye on things, and free agency is not that far off. So it's kind of a it's a tricky position if you're the Cavs uh, of where you're at right now. Yeah, it is, it is tricky in the sense like he's really good. You don't want to let a good guy walk, especially it's not like you know this isn't a salary cap issue. You know, no, it's not. It's not like, like they're tied on a, how much they can pay David Griffin. Yeah, like it's it's just pay the guy. I don't know. Like I I will always skew towards being insensitive to the financial woes of billionaires. I mean, trust me, I I'm like pay for your um, state, pay for your stadiums. Yeah, the pay, the pay, city pay is. Up. Yeah, the, I don't want to hear Dan Gilbert cry for when the city is pitching in as much as it is to help renovate the queue. I'm just yeah. not interested in hearing that. Like, if you, if you want more on that, Friday's podcast, check it out. Yeah, it's great, good plug. I, I, I we planned that. We didn't. Uh, <laughs> but like, to to some extent, like, just pay the guy. I don't know. Like, it, this is the cost of doing business with LeBron. Is you're going to have a high payroll. You're going to have to pay everyone because um, he's not just he's. He was going to want his guys paid. He's going to want his guys kept in house. I mean, remember how much uh, Jettis letting Mike Miller walk bothered LeBron. Or, you know, amnesting Mike Miller. Like, this stuff matters. You, you ha, you ha, every, if, you, if you start sacrificing the team's best interest for finance, then it, it's going to be loud and clear to LeBron, and he's going to raise hell. Yeah. Um, think about two just what Griffin has done is just sort of hard to replicate, right? Like he, he's, this, he's of, a, yeah. yeah, he's not just take, like, it's not, it, sometimes it's almost easier to rebuild because one, your expectations are lower and you know, you just take the top guy on the draft board and you hope he's good. And you always have cap room, like the cap, gymnastics that he's done to get these exceptions and to roll them over and uh, perpetually be able to add salary to a team that's way capped out um, with almost no draft assets is stunning and it's impressive and it deserves um, lauded. He does an amazing job with this team and you know if you're if you're picking nits you could say okay the Mozgov trade he only played well for a year for a half a year but he did play well enough in the finals. So I don't know what else you can ask. Mm-hmm. Um, Shumpert hasn't been great. Uh, JR's had a tough year coming off of, you know, his holdout, but also uh, he's kind of had the year from hell. So you have to be a little patient with that. Uh, you know, love maybe hasn't been as good as people wanted, but I think everyone would have made that trade going in. I mean, the, this is all nitpicky stuff. I mean, he's proven himself to be one of the best and most creative GMs in the league. And it's hard to imagine that that would be easily replicated. Yeah, and let's let's note this too. He has been very willing to publicly and privately push back against LeBron a little bit, which I think is sort yep, of important. That's really helpful. Um, when you think about the, the the letter he wrote during the finals last year, that I, that I think a lot of you that have read uh, Return of the King by Mick Menemin and Winhorst have now read, or if you listen to the audiobook, have listened to. Like he he's a guy. He put he pushed that button at the right time. He was the guy who was. I mean, I'm sure LeBron. It was his LeBron's displeasure with Blatt was not hidden by any stretch of the imagination, but 
Mm-hmm. That was Griffin's call. That was not LeBron James's call. This year, you had LeBron, um, him kind of shoot down some of the issues with uh, the playmaking. He said, like, they ended up getting one, but it, it was something where he kind of, or the big guy. It was the, LeBron said we needed the big guy, and Griffin sort of like, no, I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think you need to be able to kind of push he LeBron also just, in that way. Yeah, he also just actively said that they should be playing better instead of whining. Correct. <laughs> about their roster. Correct. Um, this is a guy that I think has the, the the cachet to do that, and I think, like, I don't think that can go understated. We can talk about like his maneuverability is great. I think if you were going to nitpick at one thing, and I think it's a a nitpick um, that I think it's hard to make at times. I do think that you could invest more in getting guys that could develop into something, whether that's using the D League to do so, or getting a guy that isn't Jordan McRae, or maybe not getting yourself in the position to where you had to. You know, take a chance on Larry Sanders because you signed Birdman and you're leaving Tristan Thompson and and kind of alone. I think that's mm-hmm. like a meaningful critique. But I think if you look at the big picture, how he's done his job, how he's gotten the Cavs to this point and managed everything for the last two and a half, three years, I I don't think what he can what he's done can really be understated and how important it has been. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I I think that. The biggest picture is that he helped them win a title. He helped build a roster that yeah, won a title. Exactly. Like, come on, this is easy. This is easy. It just is. And I and you know, I obviously it's Dan Gilbert's money to spend. However, he wants to spend. He owns the team. But like, I think he should get some backlash if this doesn't work out. It, because it once again, well. it will not play well. Because this because once again, this isn't. There are going to be the the weird hordes of people that go that go that leap to defend a billionaire's financial prudence when the, the, these con- these franchises appreciate by like 200% every freaking year. He's going to, when, when the day, like the, the phrase I love to use and I'll use it and I'm sure everyone is sick of hearing me say it, but I, I just say the next NBA owner to go broke because he spent too much on his team will be the first. Mm-hmm. It doesn't happen. It's never going to happen. They are always going to make money. That is how the system is built. Yeah, hundred percent. If you, if they don't make yeah. money, if they don't make money year to year, they make it when they sell the team and and for a four hundred percent profit on what they bought it for. Yeah, yeah. Um, this will be. I mean, I think this is a very interesting thing that I think Cavs fans out there kind of need to follow. I don't expect it to be something you get a day to day or even week to week update on, but. As Carter and I recorded this, it's April 30th. You'll probably you'll listen to this on May 1st. The Cavs functionally, assuming they make it to the finals, and the finals you know don't end in four games or something like that, which you know is possible, they have about a month to kind of get this ironed out. Because to my understanding, the moment the season ends, basically Griffin's a free agent, and the Magic are going to call. I'm sure there are other teams that are going to have vacancies that will call as they should. He's a, he's proven himself as a great executive. And then you kind of, you're in a spot where if you don't bring him back, you kind of leave yourself in a very interesting position as the draft comes up, as free agency comes up and, and potentially you have a very interesting off season as well, because you are, you might have to do some rejiggering. You're going to have the 17 men rosters next year, the two way contracts next year. And you're going to have to probably functionally reload in some cases. You're maybe not a wholly new roster, but there may have to be some adjustments. And if you're the Cavs, I don't think you want anyone other than Griffin doing that. So it's just a matter of, are you going to give him what he wants? Does he maybe get a, a bump in title in some way? What, what, what keeps him around? And aside from how the, well the Cavs played, this is the most important story, I think, over the next month. 
Yeah, it's an enormously important one and one that might go under the radar, but we shouldn't, uh, that it shouldn't. Yeah. Because it does matter a lot. Yeah, like we'll see how other things turn out, like how LeBron plays, how Kyrie um, and Love certainly play after up and down first round, but this is something to keep an eye on. I wanted to run through it with uh, someone like Carter. Carter, real quick before we let you go, do you have a serious prediction for Cavs Raptors? Yeah, I, I, everyone keeps yelling at me for it, but I think that it's Cavs in four. Yeah, I saw. I think you um, tweeted that or put it in our little uh, preview thing up on for that'll be a book of the sword. Yep, I'm gonna get yelled at, uh, but I I think it's just as likely it goes four, five, or six. Though. Yeah, I pick uh, I pick I, six. I'm a coward when it comes to predictions. I can I can never like pull the pull the trigger on the short series unless it's like a first round yeah. thing. I'm normally a coward, but this time I just decided, well, you know, if the Cavs are going to be favored in every game, uh, I think they present a lot of tough matchups for Toronto. I think they're going to be a little more revved up for this series than they were last year, where they kind of fell asleep after two games. Um, But it is forever impossible to analyze how interested the Cavs are going to be on a day-to-day basis. So, don't know what to tell you there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Last thing here. LeBron James, of course, is probably going to be the the MVP of the series. But out of Kyrie and Kevin Love, who is more important for the Cavs to get this done in four games? I think it's Kyrie. I uh, don't think agree. he was. I don't think he was great in round one. Uh, I think he has to at least make Kyle Lowry work a little bit on the defensive end or on off playing defense, uh, and then he's got to get his jumper back. He, I think he went like one of nineteen on open threes against the Pacers. Um, can't imagine he'll go that bad again. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's the X factor. I think the whole offense just looks different when LeBron is able to facilitate and find him, and he's going for, like, 35. Yeah, 100% agree. I think if Kyrie outplays Kyle Lowry meaningfully, the Raptors are going to have a hard, hard time getting him in a game or two in this series. That's where I think this series plays. Because Lowry wasn't that good last year, but if you go back and watch a lot of the film – um, he got some looks against Kyrie, and there's one point where he just straight up shook Kyrie off the dribble, and Kyrie had some really bad Kyrie pick and roll moments on defense. So, um, we'll see. This is going to be interesting. I think there's, it's not like the Cavs have someone like Adeli, who I know, you know, functionally isn't like all that great, but they don't have someone uh, that we'll see. And I think you may see a lot of them on Shumpert and on Kyle Lowry as well. Yep, I wonder how much. I wonder if Darren Williams finds a little few, fewer minutes it's in this him, series. It's him or Corver to me that has to lose minutes, yeah. and I kind of, I kind of think it might be Corver. Yeah, I mean, it's either one. It'll be really interesting to see what what Ty, Ty Lue does, but he's had a week to game plan for either team. So, uh, and you know, probably a bit longer. I imagine if you're Lou, you start game planning a little bit more for the Raptors once they go up three two. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, he's had probably what four or five days maybe six yeah to to just think about raptors so it'll be interesting to see uh what you know what he cooks up because lou has proven to be a good game planner and uh lebron uh has also uh i think he's won like his last like 14 game ones after five days of rest so i bs that number but it's a lot yeah it's a lot Uh, so, yeah, I mean, you got to think the Cavs are going to come out on the right foot in game one. But once again, you literally do not know what this team is going to do. Exactly. Ever. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting, too, what the Cavs did in round one against Indiana defensively, I don't think a lot of that actually translates to a Raptors series. It's going to mm-hmm. be, you can't really, 
double a Kyle Lowry or DeMar DeRozan quite as much um, when they have another ball handler on the floor. And if Norm Powell plays like he did in parts of that Buck series, they kind of have three. So it's kind of that's something yep. to keep an eye on. Yep. Should be interesting. Uh, should be interesting. Well, Carter, um, everyone go listen to the Chase Down podcast, find his work on uh, Fear the Sword, and we'll be right back. Uh, next up, Sean Woodley from Lockdown Raptors and The Athletic and Raptors HQ. We'll have a big old Cavs Raptors. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. Mm, all right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm-hmm. <laughs> and shapes. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Series preview. You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. So, Sean, it's Cavs-Raptors Game 1, 7 p.m., Quicken Loans Arena, Cleveland, Ohio. Um, it's, it kicks off a very interesting series of rematch of last year's Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the Raptors come in having not a lot of rest. The Cavs haven't played a game of basketball in over a week. Uh, pretty, But it, I think this is sort of the series I think we all sort of hope to see. And I think when you and I talked right before the end of the regular season, you and I were hope, hoping we were going to get to this point. Yeah, I think we kind of hoped that maybe we'd see it in a conference finals instead of uh, a second round series because I don't know, like just watching the the Wizards and, and Celtics today play, I just kind of think these are the two best teams in the East, and it's a shame that they're playing so early. And I guess there's some debate whether or not the Raptors are better than the Celtics or the, the Wizards, but I just think they're the deepest um, of those three teams, and I think they're the more f- formidable challenge for the Cavs out of those three. So it's a bummer that we don't get in the conference finals but i'm excited that it's here now um and yeah it's uh there's a lot of there's a lot to get into this one it's it's hard because i've been trying to like prepare and stuff but all of the game film from this season is utterly useless because like they they played three times in november and obviously the raptors are a completely different team from what they were then i mean pascal siakam was starting those games and that's like he just won the d-league championship so um, there's a huge, obviously, change over there, and obviously, I mean, the, the Cavs have, you know, they added Kyle Korver. The Raptors haven't seen them with Kyle Korver, um, with all their guys, you know, playing, because, of course, the last game of the season, everybody rested. Um, like, they haven't really seen what this Cavs team is, and the Cavs really haven't seen what this Raptors team is. Because, so, like, as much as we want to talk about what the Raptors look like on paper and whether or not they're the best matchup for the Cavs, like, we have to see it in practice first, because we just have no idea. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that, and I think it's interesting, too, that there's like a chance Kyle Korver doesn't play like a big role in the series. One of the things that I'm looking for from a Cavs perspective is I do think because of the Rosen, because of his size, because of how much he'll play and how much he'll have the ball in his hands, the Cavs have a functional choice to make. They, I think Richard Jefferson is going to have to play more in this series than he maybe did in games three and four of round one um, when he sort of got replaced with Amon Shumpert. I wonder if the Cavs feel like they can get away with playing both Darren Williams and Kyle Korver with the Rosen because that kind of puts you in a situation where, you know, maybe Darren's defending Lowry, which I guess you could get away with for a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But LeBron has to defend DeRozan because Korver's just going to get bulldozed by DeRozan. And, and we've seen uh, your friend, uh, one of your coworkers at Raptors HQ, uh, John Goddess, wrote that piece about DeRozan, about how he uh, did a really nice job in round one of recognizing traps coming. And that would be the Cavs' yep. only way of defending DeRozan if LeBron's not defending him. 
And it's not like if it's like Norm Powell um, playing that other spot. It's not like Norm's not going to cause problems for Corver either. So I kind of wonder, do the Cavs have to not, maybe not play Darren Williams or not play Kyle Corver? And I kind of think because of LeBron's like of having Darren Williams on the floor with him, although he loves having Corver with him as well, I kind of wonder if we'll see more of Shumpert and RJ with LeBron as opposed to uh, Corver and one of those other two guys. Yeah, what's going on with J.R. Smith? Like, is he... Like, is he going to be around for this series? Like, he's had some health shit, health stuff going on, right? Like, is he going to be around? Yeah, uh, from from what I understand, I think Jr. should be good. I'm going to do a Google search right now to make sure, yeah. that, like, everything. Because you, know, like, like, you got okay. me like wondering about this, but I know, like, he's yeah. he has. Um, yeah, the only reason I ask is like I figured he was healthy too, but you didn't mention him there, and I figured like it's well, just I mean, pretty I guess, well, I guess I got like the back, like the backups because I do think you'll see a lot of. Um, Depending on when, I don't know exactly what Toronto's substitution patterns are, but I do Neither think you'll not. like. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah. That says something, but like I, I do think you'll see a lot of instances where, especially if the Cavs are rolling, it's inevitable that they're gonna have some brush up with the LeBron bench lineup and uh, yeah. DeRozan and Lowry. The interesting thing about Jr. that you mentioned this, he, I think that the way they they've talked about him in practice and stuff like that. Um, and how they use Jr. in round one against Paul George, I think he'll be spending a lot of time guarding DeRozan. Um, I don't 100% know how good he'll do there. Um, I think it's I think he'll need to shoot a little bit better in the series as well. But him and DeRozan's interesting because DeRozan's I think bigger, but Jr. is not like small. But like yeah. I think RJ physically is more equipped to sort of handle the brunt of what DeRozan really does. Right. That's been the problem with DeRozan this year for our opposing teams, though, is that just like there are very few guys now that can shut him down. I mean, I mean, maybe it's just like a transitioning of size in the NBA where he's not up against like big twos as often mm-hmm. uh, or big threes. But I just like it seems like he's more matchup proof than he ever has been. And there were moments in the Bucks series where it was weird, where he just like had some issues diagnosing the traps or Chris Middleton played some good defense on him. Uh, I think in game uh, six, when the Bucks are making that huge comeback, Giannis was guarding him a lot. And I mean, the, the, as much as LeBron is a great defender when he locks in, the Cavs don't have a Giannis defensively. So I think if that's the kind of player it requires to shut down DeMar at this point, like, I don't know where the Cavs are going to get that guy. I think that's a big advantage they have here because I'm also curious to see how much they decide to trap because I think over the course of the season, the Raptors really showed that they are pretty good at dealing with traps. I think the Bucks were in particular a really difficult matchup just because of how long they are and how like they're just of all the teams, if they were to throw traps out there, I mean, I think that's the team most equipped to do it. And when they executed it well and they were able to rotate back to the weak side quickly and, you know, flash back to the bigs, they were just deadly and impossible to get through. I'm just not sure the Cavs have the personnel to be able to do that. So I'm curious to see how much they decide to trap in this series because I think over the course of the year, like the larger body of work just beyond the Bucks series, and even then, in a lot of the Bucks series, the Raptors really carved it apart. I mean, you look at Game 5, the Raptors scored 118 points. Lowry and DeRozan only put up 23 shots combined, but the entire game was them just passing off to other guys and other guys going to work. Um, so I think the Raptors have shown over the course of the year that traps aren't typically a thing that's going to bother them unless it's coming from a super agile and athletic team like the Bucks. Um, so I, if the Cavs decide to do that, I think it's going to be sort of detrimental to them. And I think it could sort of help the Raptors kind of poke some holes in, in an already sort of soft Cavs defense. 
because um, I think they really do have the sort of tools to move away from from the traps and you know move it along to guys like Serge Ibaka on the short roll or move it to the wings. Like if you know having Lowry and DeRozan both on the court at the same time is pretty useful because you can swing it around and have the other one just kind of reignite the offense out of the trap on the other side. So I don't know. What do you think the Cavs are going to do? Do you think they're going to sort of start with a trapping strategy and see what, how it takes them from there? I think it'll be interesting because I don't think in round one they were very concerned with Jeff Teague. Uh-huh. Um, when they were defending Paul George, they were. if you go back and look at a lot of the film, the moment Paul George in half-court stats would get the ball or make a move, they would sort of give him a, a lane, and the, but let him like go. At, he, he'd end up at somebody. And then they would rely on rotating around um, to other guys and, and communication to kind of have a functional good defense and it, it worked for stretches it certainly wasn't great every game but i think it did get better as the series went on i don't know if you can do that against toronto but mm-hmm. kind of like you said because they're going to pass out of it but kyle lowry if he is the best version of kyle lowry can make the Cavs pay for doing that in a way that jeff teague just can't mm-hmm. he's going to find those openings he's going to attack kyrie irving if you go back and look at last year's uh, conference finals Lowry didn't have, like, a great series by any stretch of the imagination, but he had a lot of success attacking Kyrie. Um, yeah. I mean, he's just bigger than him. He He's not necessarily 100% quicker, but he's just going to be a physically more imposing guy that can still get to his spots. He, he got, like, a lot of the looks that you want Kyle Lowry to get in that series last year against Kyrie Irving. I don't think the Cavs can function quite in the same way that they did against Indiana. I kind of don't 100% know what to expect eventually here. Because I just don't think a lot of what they did against Indiana is 100% replicable against a team that has just that secondary creator. That has another guy. Like, if you trap either Lowry or DeRozan and they're on the floor together, you're having to deal with something else in a way that it's better than Teague. Um, even yeah. if, like, Norm... Even, even like, Norm Powell's on the floor and, and how well he played in round one for parts of round one. And... Um, Corey Joseph, like you have guys that can actually dribble. Indiana, like have Lance Stevenson, you know? <laughs> right? So like the Cavs were very content to let Lance Stevenson dribble, and maybe Kojo plays that role in the series. But if they even have that actual second guy, that's a problem for Cleveland, I think. Yeah, I think if the Raptors have an advantage or have it, like any sort of glimmer of hope in this series, it's just that their offense. I mean, you look at the regular season; the Pacers were like a pretty average offense. I mean, I think they were like seventeenth or something like that. Um, or like somewhere right in the middle pretty much the entire season. And the Raptors have, you know, while they fell off a little bit in the second half of the year, a lot of that's with Kyle Lowry out of the lineup. So, you know, how much does that factor in? I don't know. But they still finish as like the sixth best offense in the league. And I think, you know, I didn't really see a lot of signs that the Cavs defense becoming, you know, any better than it was in the regular season or really, you know, quote unquote, turning on the switch. Uh, against the Pacers, I just think like they were able to outscore them like crazy, and maybe they can do that against the Raptors. But I also think the Raptors' defense is more equipped this year, especially than it was last year, to slow down the Cavs. Um, so I think where this is going to come down to is like, can the Raptors just outscore the Cavs? Because again, like as much as as good as the Raptors' defense is, you're never going to fully shut down the you know Cleveland's offense. But I think the offense has a real chance to sort of keep pace here. I mean, we saw I think a couple of the games of the season, I think the first one was a low-scoring game, but the other two in November that the Raptors played with Cleveland, like they were really high-scoring games. The Raptors just scored like 115 points. They gave up like 119 or whatever it was, but they were able to score pretty much at will. And I think with the improved defense, maybe they can squeak out a couple games just with that math edge. 
Um, but like, has the Cavs defense, you know, turned the switch as they sort of said they were going to do? Um, I mean, th- there were some nice little wrinkles they threw in. LeBron played at the five a little bit, if I recall. I didn't get to watch most of this series because that tended to overlap when I was at Raptors games. But um, like, it, it seems like the, the Cavs defense kind of is just what it is. I don't really see where it's going to get a whole lot better. Yeah, it's not going to get a whole lot better. Um, I don't know how, if there actually is a, a flip to switch. They certainly were incredible on offense. I think they finished with. Uh, the first or the second best offensive rating of the first round, they were just just blitzing teams at times. Where I will push back on the Raptors and their offense is this, and tell me if and, and you can tell me if I'm wrong because you would definitely yeah. know better than me. Toronto ends up being sort of ISO heavy, correct? That's like, kind of a misconception. Um, okay, because I, yeah. that's something like I've I've read and I've kind of watched, and it's not like a traditional ISO, and I don't think it's as like obvious as what the Cavs do. But if yeah. the, if if you're gonna like really like shred the Cavs' defense. I think it is sort of a lot of ball movement, sort of like what um, San Antonio is going to do when they're when they're not really leaning on Kawhi, or what Golden State really does. Like you're not necessarily running a ton of pick and roll; you're running a lot of side to side ball movement and creating just chaos. Toronto, yeah. I, I don't know if they do that to the degree that's really going to rip apart the Cavs' defense. That's kind of where I wonder if the Cavs are do actually take another step in this round. And Lewis, I mean, Lewis had a week to scheme. You know, yeah. he certainly wasn't. He certainly didn't know the whole time that the Cavs were going to play Toronto, but he's known a decent amount of time. He's seen Toronto before last year. It's not like Toronto is wholly different than last year. Certainly, the Ibaka stuff I think is is pretty impactful there. But I, I think unless the, Toronto moves the ball side to side and is just making the Cavs and Kyrie and Love in particular work in ways that they necessarily didn't last year, that's going to be a problem. Like if you look at the film from last year, and I I, I don't know how much. We'll see of this necessarily because the personnel for Toronto is a little different. The Cavs were very comfortable in letting Kevin Love switch onto Kyle Lowry and, and guards. So, yeah. the, but then Toronto was just cap- comfortable with letting the guard attack there. If they get a second pick there, if they do something else to get Love having to move his feet, that's going to create more problems for the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, it's not entirely incorrect when you say they're an ISO heavy team. Like, in just in terms of just like pure isolation plays, like as they would be recorded on NBA.com. Like, no, they're not, you know, appreciably higher than, like, a middle-of-the-pack team. I think they were, like, eighth or something in total ISO plays at, like, 8% of their plays. But, um, like, it wasn't appreciably higher than, like, 20th. Like, they were kind of just sort of in that soft middle. I mean, the Cavs, I think, led the league in ISO uh, frequency. Um, and, and, like, the Raptors even had less against the Bucks. Like, they're a very pick-and-roll heavy team. Like, a quarter of all their plays come as pick-and-rolls. Uh, but their pick-and-rolls aren't, like, spread pick-and-rolls. They're more, like set a pick and have Lowry or DeRozan sort of go to the basket. Uh, maybe you get like a pull-up three for Lowry or you get DeRozan with a mid-range jumper or a lane to the rim. Um, like it, that's kind of what it is. It's pick and roll designed to get their guard shots. Um, it's not like spread style, like, you know, fine shooters all over the court. Although they, although they can do that. It's just, it's always look for their shot first, pass if necessary kind of deal. Um, so yeah, I think you know the opportunity I think in this series is if if the the Cavs do decide to trap a little bit, that's where that side to side movement comes in. That's where you saw the Raptors be so successful in some of those games against Milwaukee, where they were swinging it, they were getting to the weak side, they were having Norm Powell attack a closeout, or they were you know swinging it to like Patrick Patterson or Corey Joseph in the corner, and that was really effective. Obviously, you want Lowry and DeRozan to be the guys making the plays, um, and even then, like you talk about. You know, ISO and how it's not an effective way to score. And yeah, like it's not the most efficient way to score by any means in basketball right now. But the Raptors were still among the best teams at ISO in the league. I think they finished second in the league in terms of you know, points per possession in ISOs. And they were even better. I think they were like one point 
you know, 1.1 points per possession in the, the Buck series. Because what they do when they do run ISO is they do a lot of 1-2 screening so they can get, you know, favorable switches onto their guards. So whether it's, you know, getting a guy to switch, you know, have Kyrie get switched onto DeRozan or something like that. Like, that's what they try to hunt out. That's, like, how they attack the Celtics a lot of the time. Like, they'll try to get Isaiah switched on to Lowry or DeRozan um, and just kind of go to work from there. So if the Raptors can do that, if they can, you know, do those one-two sw- one, two screens to get, like, a Kyrie-DeMar matchup, I think that's where the ISO is going to come in, in, in handy because when you are running ISO and if the Cavs are trapping and they are trapping well, I mean, when you're running ISO, you're not inviting those screens and you, you're just having a guy go to work one-on-one. And, you know, there aren't many guys better in the league than DeRozan or Lowry working one-on-one. Uh, obviously, some of the guys who are better in the league are employed by the Cavs, so that right, makes it right, difficult. Right. Yeah, um, but like, just in terms of, I really, as much as I want to see, like, sort of cut down the Raptors' chances of scoring in this series, like, I really do think it's just going to be a track meet because I don't see a lot of areas in which the Cavs can explo- exploit the Raptors, you know, and sort of shut them down offensively if the Raptors are humming. Obviously, the Raptors, they're the Raptors, so they're going to have games where they just, you know, forget how to play basketball. But uh, I think on the whole, like, their offense. It should be kind of Cavs-proof, I think, because I just don't think the Cavs have the defensive horses that gave them trouble in the last round. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily disagree. I'm, I kind of am wondering to see what kind of tweaks we see because I just don't know, um, and I think we'll know sort of early, and that's kind of what I'm really watching for in Game 1. That's the big thing. The other thing that I'm really watching um, in the series as a whole is I think the most important matchup of this series is Lowry, the engine of what makes the Raptors really go, and Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Um, I think it's and you can push back on this obviously, but I think if Toronto is going to win this series or take the Cavs into some really deep, uncomfortable waters at the very least, I think Lowry has to consistently outplay Kyrie Irving. Like I, and I, I don't know if there's a way Toronto really makes this uncomfortable if Lowry isn't just destroying Kyrie in a lot of ways. I'm with you there, man. Like the Raptors go as Kyle Lowry goes, and they could get by the Bucks without him playing at his peak, even though he was still like. You know, I think he was like a plus like 47 or something in the last few games, like last three games of the series. Um, like he was still like really good and effective, even though he wasn't really just contributing offensively or even you know getting a lot of rebounds or assists or anything like that. But he was making some like real difference making defensive plays, and I think that's where it comes. Like having a guy just like Lowry who can just you know potentially stay with Kyrie Irving is is huge because again, like I don't think Jeff Teague was that dude last round, and you know Lowry, you know for all of his playoff foibles i mean even when his shot is off he does productive things most of the time and that's why like the first couple games of the the buck series were so weird like game one and three he just did nothing and that was kind of perplexing because he doesn't normally do that even when his offense isn't working like he normally is doing other things to help the raptors win and to contribute winning plays and yeah it it really it is it does come down he's gonna have to score more than the 14 points a game he scored in the first round he's gonna have to sort of exploit Kyrie a little bit and you know try to get his own shot against him here and there like it's not gonna be a a deferential series for Lowry he's gonna have to shoot well he's gonna have to rediscover his like 40 plus percent three-point shooting from uh from the regular season that he had before he got hurt like if he doesn't do that the, the Raptors just don't have the firepower to keep up with the Cavs um, as much as DeRozan can do, you know, great things, you know, a lot of that is in the form of twos. And you just, the math, it, you need to have threes and you need to have Lowry's high-volume three-point shooting because that's really, him and Serge Ibaka are the really only high-volume guys on the team. And, like, if one of them is not working, like, you're just not going to be able to keep pace with the Cavs, I don't think. So I totally agree. Like, if Lowry has a huge series, the Raptors have a chance. If he doesn't, like, it's just going to be either just a competitive loss for the Raptors or it could be a complete blowout. Yeah, I, I really, really think this series 
like is going to come down to, to Kyle Lowry. Like I, and that's really interesting too because of the framework of where he's at with his contract, with um, where the Raptors are at. And I don't know if this is something like that's really a new thing, but it's like, and it's not like as severe as the Clippers. Like it's not like we're going to have these like freakouts over what's going to like what the future of the Raptors entails, but. Like yeah. it, it feels like the, because of where this is, because if they lose, they they ha- immediately head into a very important decision on Lowry. It just feels like to me like the, everything about this series, it's like the pressure is on on him more than anybody. Because I like Kyrie could like play really bad, you know, maybe gets up play and the Cavs still win, and he'll certainly take some flack for it. But if they advance and he just destroys Isaiah Thomas in the next round, and then like they even and he just like plays like he did in the finals last year, like you know, it sort of doesn't matter. Cause like, I don't yeah. like, if you look at last year, Kyrie like defensively did not play great against Toronto. Like there are just, there's a clip that I have on in a store. That's going to be up. If you're the sword where Lowry just shakes him like, and it's so bad. <laughs> it's just so bad. And it ultimately didn't matter. But if like Lowry loses and they don't play well, it just seems like that magnifying class is going to be right there. But if Kyrie in turn just has like a very complete series, if he's active on defense in ways he was for spurts of that series last year, if he scores well, um, and kind of and and kind of has a game like games like he had in game one and game two and part of game four, um, where he scored and guys he was guys were over six on shot attempts that would have been assists for him. So mm-hmm. like the zero assist things like a little goofy in there, but he's like a more willing passer. If he uh, plays um, Toronto or if he uh, plays Lowry, like maybe this is wrapped up in five. Like that's kind of yeah. like if if Kyrie's just huge for four games, like this could be over pretty quick. Yeah, but look, man, the, the Cavs are a better team, so the Raptors are going to have to have a lot of things go their way, and that entails having their best players outperform their counterparts on the other side. I mean, if Lowry can be the second best player in this series, then the Raptors have a fighting chance. Uh, obviously, no one's going to be better than LeBron in the playoffs, but like if if Lowry can be the second best player and DeRozan can be the third or fourth best player, like. There's a real chance the Raptors can, pe- can keep pace because I think they're deeper. I think they're more versatile than they were last year. I think their defense has a better shot of holding up than it did last year. Um, like there are some things going in their favor and that, to make me think that this is going to be a closer series than it was last year. But that all kind of crumbles if Lowry if Lowry's not playing well because he he really is the engine. And yeah, he's he the Raptors got by with him playing not great basketball against the Bucks. Like he was up and down. He had some nice games. He had some poor games. Like that's just not going to cut it against the Cavs. He has to be. Uh, at his best or close to it pretty much every game for the Raptors to have a shot. Like that's just the reality of being the underdog in a series. The, you mentioned that you've mentioned this a couple of times. Um, the defense just being more solid. Is that just because of Ibaka and Tucker and, and who do you think takes the most of the minutes defending LeBron James in this series? I, yeah, I, I think Ibaka and Tucker really sort of changed the identity of the team a little bit. Um, you even saw like even against the Bucks. You saw that crazy run that they went on. It was like a 34-7 run. It took like 15 minutes for that run to sort of carry out. I mean, the Raptors weren't hemorrhaging points by any means. They just couldn't figure out the Bucks' defense on the other end. Uh, like, the defense has been a staple of this team since the deadline. And Ibaka and Tucker are huge parts of that. I mean, Ibaka at the five, I think, is sort of the biggest reason why I think the Raptors can defend a little better. I mean, you saw last year, Jonas Valanciunas... I, he could very well get played off the court in this series. Like, I would not be shocked if by, you know, game three or four, like, he's barely playing or he's only playing ceremonial minutes to start games up against Tristan Thompson and then doesn't see the court ever again because, like, he is not fleet of foot enough to stick with, you know, a lot of the Cavs shooters and a lot of the Cavs stretchy bigs or even Tristan Thompson sometimes. Like, Th- Thompson torches him in the pick and roll more often than not when they play. So, 
like having Ibaka at, as that five instead of Bismack Biombo last year. And Biombo had a great series. He was really good in the Raptors' two wins. He was pretty poor in the other four. And that was kind of the whole problem with Biombo and why I was very okay with letting him walk. Like his great games are great, but his great games happen 40% of the time. And the other 60% really sort of damage everything you try to do because while he was a great defender, he was awful on offense. And teams could just leave him be because the idea of him catching a pass, like just just merely catching a pass was like a 50-50 proposition. Um, let alone finishing after he caught that pass. Uh, so, like, last year when you had Biombo out there at center replacing Jonas, I mean, Jonas didn't play that entire series either. He was hurt uh, until, I think, game five or something like that. But, you know, just having Biombo at center, while it helped the defense a little bit and he was able to sort of roam out and defend guys on the perimeter, his offense was so poor that it just, you know, any advantage the Raptors could maybe gain at the other end was just kind of eliminated because you're essentially playing four on five. Ibaka's not like that. Ibaka has been... You know, like he's kind of replaced Terrence Ross as like the team is just like you know, zero sort of conscience gunner. And, you know, he shot he kind of shot himself out of playing time. And I think game four against the Bucks where he missed like six shots to start the fourth quarter and didn't play the rest of the game. But most of the time, like he's been firing up threes. He's like one of the highest volume shooters on the team now. And he's been really good at it. And you can have him on the court. You can have him defend at the five and be sort of mobile and be able to come out and challenge Channing Fry and also get back and defend the rim, uh, you know, the way that, you know, Jonas Valanciunas just simply can't and you, you're not giving anything up on offense. And in fact, having him out there on offense maybe helps you counteract and sort of punish the, the Cavs for having a guy like Channing Fry at the five or Kevin Love at the five because he's been so dynamic offensively. And if, especially if the Raptors are forced to find him on the short roll out of traps, like he's been able to do some good work there. He had six assists in one game against the, the Bucks. He had three in another. And, and, you know, like there were games where he just was just a really good third option for the Raptors. Um, so yeah, I think he is key to everything in this series on both ends of the floor. I think he's going to play a ton of minutes. I think he's going to play like 36 to 38 minutes. A lot of that at center, because uh, I just don't see the utility of Valanciunas in this series. And uh, I think that's huge. As far as who's going to defend LeBron, I would not be shocked if Damari Carroll gets the first crack, just because Dwayne Casey seems very slow to change that and very reluctant to take him out of the starting five. Um, I don't think we're going to see the same small starting five we saw uh, against the Bucks, I think the Raptors are going to go back to their sort of de facto starting five with uh, Ibaka and Valanciunas in the front court with Carroll and then Lowry and DeRozan. And I think, you know, we could very quickly see P.J. Tucker in because I think Tucker, he was really good against Giannis defensively for a lot of that series. And I think he's the best hope to maybe try to slow, Debron, slow LeBron down and to try to keep the Raptors from having to send doubles LeBron's way every possession, every time down the floor, because that invites just so much trouble and death and scariness when he's unleashing passes around the court. Uh, I think Tucker has a better chance of just guarding him one-on-one, -on -one, slowing him down a little bit. He is, like, by all accounts, one of the most annoying you know, wing defenders to go up against in the league. DeMar DeRozan has talked about it in the past, how much he hated going up against Tucker. Um, and I think LeBron and Tucker is going to be a really fun matchup. We might see, like, some biting involved. <laughs> we might see a fight or two, some, some punches thrown, because Tucker is highly annoying and very physical defensively um so I, while i don't see him starting games right out of the right out of the gate i think he might take over the starters job as early as game two or three depending on what, on what happens and i still think he's going to play like 30 plus minutes just and, and get a lot of time on lebron because he's, he's by far the raptors best option there yeah i i think i'd expect to see like a lot of tucker and i wonder if you get and it'd be hard to like do this i guess unless you're gonna go like lowry DeRozan. 
Tucker, Carol, and Ibaka. I wonder if you could like do some of the switching where like at least you have another guy that you can feel comfortable leaving LeBron, having leave on LeBron for like a little bit. I wonder if you could get away with that. That's kind of something I I would wonder if we see that at all. Um, just because you if if you have to start doubling LeBron heavily, yeah, like you're like you're kind of you're especially if it's the certain lineups that the Cavs are gonna have. You're inviting it, like, so many bad things. You're inviting to you're inviting like Kyle Korver corner threes, like you're inviting Channing Fry threes, you're inviting Kyrie Irving threes, Kevin. Like there's just a a ton of bad like you said, like there's just a lot of bad things that are gonna happen to your defense. You have to start doubling LeBron. And even when the Pacers did it, LeBron was like really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> and and like especially in games three and game four. Like just some really, really incredible performances and he's had a week off. The guy's had a freaking week off and he's um I know that there's like a lot of talk about his minutes, but I don't know if there's anyone who's like as insane about taking care of his body as him. So I kind of just until we see him break down, I won't believe that he will. No, it's never happening. Come on, <laughs> he's, he's going to be like a hundred years old. His son is going to have had retired already. His grandson's <laughs> going to be like in the league, like, and LeBron's just going to be like playing for the Clippers or something like that, and just yeah. like team banana boat with Melo and Chris Paul, all very old. <laughs> yeah, they're they're going to be there like on the sidelines with walkers. LeBron's like still just going to be like dunking on people. <laughs> be insane yeah he's a cyborg he's a legit cyborg yeah i'm with you like i think the rappers have to try their best to to like not give in to the sort of temptation to double lebron um and again i think tucker gives him the best shot at that i mean we saw last year the raptors tried to do that out of the gate and just go one-on-one with lebron have damari carroll guard lebron and that didn't work at all and the first couple games was just lebron getting to the basket whenever he wanted and then they were forced to double and then he just picked him apart with passes so like there's really no easy solution to it. I think Tucker is the closest thing to it. I mean, I don't know. If you look at wing defenders around the league, can you name three that would be better suited to guarding LeBron? I mean, Kawhi. Draymond. Who else? Draymond and, like, maybe Giannis. Um, like, Tucker is yeah, a really... Giannis and maybe, well, Jimmy Butler. Sure, yeah. But, like, Tucker is well, in that probably, conversation. T- Tucker's, like, top five, top seven, probably. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that's fair. Is, like he, that dude loves to play defense. Like, I actually, favorite. I really kind of wish the cat. Like, there's certainly an argument for me to be made that Tucker would have been more useful. Like, and it would have filled like a bigger need than Corver. Yeah. Um, just because like Corver just is like a luxury, you know. Like he's just like, he's like the 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 cherry on top of your already like Sunday. Like he's just like like he's the extra little bit that kind of makes it really like sweet and kind of fun. And but he doesn't offer anything that's like necessarily necessary for you to have the best Sunday. Like he's not, this is, he doesn't this feel is the, That's the annoying thing about the stupid Cavs is that <laughs> the cherry on top is one of the greatest three point shooters. in the Right. Right. Yeah. right. <laughs> and, he, and he's just been absurd. Like he's been absurd since he got to Cleveland. <laughs> like the, the, it was so weird in round one to see like the, the Pacers put in more of an effort to like face guard Corver than they did yeah. to like double Kyrie or Kevin Love. Yeah. Like, that's it was, uh, it was, kind of, it was kind of crazy. It's a pretty nice cherry to have. The only good, <laughs> yeah, Marishano cherry ever because Marishano is a trash. That's but. a bad. That's a bad take. I love Marishano cherries. I love. What? Them. Okay. Yeah. What? They're like completely chemicalized. Ah, like, like I don't know. Drops of I don't know poison. I mean, I regular know. regular cherries are better, but like if I'm gonna die, like I might as well just at least like have the facade of eating a fruit. I don't know. <laughs> like, if I'm gonna die because I eat too much sugar anyway, like whatever. But um. I'm largely anti-cherry anyway, but we can get back like, to yo, it. Yeah. Unless it's Will Cherry, former Cav. Will Cherry. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Will Cherry. <laughs> this will be a, a, some, the summer pod in the Lockdown Network is like what fruits are good and what fruits are terrible. <laughs> That'll be the summer when, when when nothing's happening in August. That's what we'll get yeah. to. Um, D, it'll be like D-League and 
and uh, and fruits. But all right, let's let's wrap it up on this thing. I'll I'll do this uh, for the Cavs. You do for the Raptors. Yeah. If the Raptor the Raptors win this series, if. Okay, this is gonna be a long list. Um, if Kyle Lowry plays the way he did in like the regular season games he played against the Cavs last season, um, then they they have a good chance. If Demar Derozan uh, can you know facilitate in addition to scoring, if Valanciunas plays less than 15 minutes a game, um, if PJ Tucker plays more than 30 minutes a game, if Serge Ibaka shoots 40 percent from three on like five attempts a game. Like, there are a lot of things that have to go right for the Raptors in this series. So if all those things happen, I think the Raptors have a good chance. Um, if Kyrie Irving plays poorly, if one of Kevin Love or Kyrie Irving gets hurt, that works for the Raptors as well. I mean, counting on injuries, obviously, is not the way you want to go. But I think the Raptors are overmatched. I think the Raptors are still good enough to keep the series close. But I think in the end, just the talent's going to rise. And I think LeBron's going to end up doing it, even if it goes to seven. Like, if this game goes—if this series goes to seven— Great, that's amazing. I have zero confidence the Raptors would win that game seven just because they're up against LeBron. But right, yeah, right. there are some ways the Raptors can win this series. Like I, th- I think if you play this series ten times, maybe the Raptors win two, maybe three, which is better odds than they had last year for sure. Um, but again, I still think just LeBron is LeBron. So, so what's your serious prediction? And I'll do my Cavs one from there. I'm gonna say Cavs in seven. Uh, it's hard. Like I, the Raptors have. I mean, they have a propensity for just having horrible games. So maybe it's Cavs and six. Um, but either way, if it's seven or six, I think it's not the same sort of series as it was last year where it was, you know, four blowouts and then two games where the Cavs really didn't try. Although they tried in game four. The Raptors stuck with them, and that was amazing. Uh, you know, when the Cavs scored like 12 straight times down the floor and the Raptors mm-hmm. were able to hold them off. Um, but, like, yeah, I think it'll be a closer series no matter what. I don't see, the like, the point differential being more than 100 like it was last year. Uh, but I'll say Cavs in seven just to appease the Raptors people out there. I'm going to say the Cavs win this series if they just play up to their potential. Um, yeah. And, and they improve enough on defense where they can mitigate some of the issues. I don't think they're going to be perfect on defense, but I think when you have LeBron James, um, when you when you have the guys that they have and how much of the rest they're coming into the series, have, and, and Toronto just comes in kind of like after a, kind of a weird Milwaukee series, I think the Cavs, just if they play up to their potential, play how like they can – they can win it because I think even if this is a track meet, which is certainly a possibility, I just don't know if Toronto can can keep up. Um, like so I think there's only maybe one or two teams in the league at their best that can really match the Cavs there, and it's Golden State and it's the Rockets, and then like maybe the Clippers. If but you know R.I.P. the Clippers. But um, I mean maybe not R.I.P. the Clippers because this may be time. But um, that's kind of thing. I think I do though think it's going to be Cavs in six. That's that's certainly. A longer series, and I think some Cavs fans are maybe going to be comfortable with. But yeah. I, I just think Toronto's personnel is the best equipped to give the Cavs problems. I think if and I, and I think if Lowry plays up to his capabilities and is healthy and all that stuff, um, he can make things really really complicated for Cleveland. And I sort of hope it goes six. I do think I kind of want to see how the Cavs can respond and adjust in a way we didn't see in in round one. I kind of just want to learn something in this round that I didn't already know. It's hard to do that with the Cavs for the regular season. I feel like I learned almost nothing, you know, like watching any two games are just like, okay. Um, Didn't feel like I learned anything in the first round that much either, aside from what I already just reaffirming that LeBron James is great. I kind of want to learn something in Toronto and the Cavs winning this in six, maybe seven. Certainly I think would indicate that they're, we're at least going to learn something about uh, the Cavs as we move forward. 
Yeah, your uh, your colleague and professional troll Justin Rowan, I think he made the joke like this is the Eastern Conference Finals. Do you do you kind of agree with that? Like, do you think the winner of this series? I mean, obviously the Cavs win; they're they're going to the finals. But like, if the Raptors win, do you think the Raptors would win against the Wizards or, or Celtics? I do, um, but that kind of says some more. Like, I just I don't think Boston's that good. Neither do you know, I. Like, I I think like Isaiah Isaiah is incredible. Um, like he's had an incredible year. Like how he's played after the death of his sister is incredible. They're really deep and they do all this stuff well. I just. I don't know. They don't do a lot. They just don't do a lot for me. Like, there's just not – like, they don't have that. They feel very, like – they feel like very 2015-16 Hawks to me. Right. Like, that's yeah. what they feel like to me. Yeah, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of with you there. I, I don't even know what team I can, like, sort of compare the Raptors to. They're sort of weird in that – like, I don't, I don't know if there's been a team like this where, like, over the course of the, the Cavs or LeBron's sort of reign in the East, like – the same team coming back and like making it to a conference finals, being the most formidable challenge, and then getting better the next season. Like I don't know how often that's happened. I think the the Pacers they got worse the second year they they were in the conference finals. They were in the middle of collapsing, um, and you know the the Bulls were sort of a one hit wonder before Derrick Rose went down. And you know they had that second round series against them, but I don't think anyone ever thought they were going to win it. And then the Hawks were obviously a one-hit wonder. So it's interesting to see. I, I just want to see growth from the Raptors in this series. That's really all I want. I want to see the Raptors play better than they did last year. Even if they lose, just like prove that all the moves actually did inspire some tangible growth and some tangible improvement. And then I think you can sell that going forward and say, hey, like this team got better. Yes, they were up against the Cavs, but LeBron isn't going to be LeBron forever, you would hope or think. Um, and maybe over the course of the next couple of years, while LeBron perhaps starts his downturn, maybe the Raptors with this core, you know, they bring it all back, maybe some changes, maybe they get rid of, you know, some more expensive guys and bring in some younger dudes or whatever. Uh, maybe they can, you know, squeak through in the next couple of years. And that's kind of what I'm looking for here is, is a glimmer of hope to say that this team can do better and can be better than what it was last year and can be better than what is than it is this year and continue to grow going forward. Yeah, I I think that's interesting. And I think I will say if the Cavs, um, if the Cavs lose for some reason, whew, whew, I'm ready. For, <laughs> I'm, I'm just I'm ready for the implosion if it happens. Like it'd be like I'm like, so ready for the takes. Just get oh, Bailey fired up. Yes. Because <laughs> the fact that it'll be LeBron loses to a team from Canada, like that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Someone will definitely come up with that take. Oh yeah. Um, that's like <laughs> a, that, that feels like a Clay Travis like waiting to happen. <laughs> That just feels like a Clay Travis column. That's like he's been saving that in his like like Microsoft Word folder for years. Like just saved on his desktop. Like LeBron, oh. LeBron lost to a country with a functional prime minister. <laughs> That's he's been waiting for that. Anyway, we gotta get out of here before I like offend somebody. But uh, That's, yeah. <laughs> if anyone's still listening, congratulations. Yeah, and shout out to Justin Trudeau. He's incredible. Um, yeah, he's he's him. definitely the best Justin in Canada. Yeah. Way, Not way better. Justin. Way better than that one in Winnipeg. Way yeah. better than that one in Winnipeg. It's like the antithesis of Justin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hi, Justin. But uh, <laughs> this has been a locked on Cavs, locked on Raptors uh, crossover. Check out fearlessword.com and Raptors HQ for all your playoff coverage. Sean, it's gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. Hopefully we can check in throughout the series or afterwards. Um, I'm maybe thinking about trying to make a trip down to Cleveland for a potential Game 5 if it gets that far. Yeah, Not I, if I oh, make a game, Game 4, that Sunday, it's a possibility. So maybe, maybe we'll cross paths and uh, get a little live podcast action going as well. 
That's a teaser of something that may not actually happen. If it doesn't we'll... happen, like you'll forget by that, so it's cool, listeners. All right, yeah, Chris, yeah. this was fun, man. We'll we'll yeah. talk soon. We'll talk in the summer at the very least about yeah. wheelchair. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> talk to you soon, man. Cheers, man.